Hey, and welcome to Music Made Me, the TuneCore podcast. You're here with me, Kevin Cornell, a content editor here at TuneCore, and Chris Mooney, Senior Director of Artist Relations at TuneCore. Hi, Chris. Hey, Kevin. Uh, today, we're going to be chatting about how independent artists can further their promotional strategies online. Uh, we're going to be joined by TuneCore artist Carter Reeves and Lever and Beam's Director of Marketing, Doug Smiley. A little more information on these guys. Carter Reeves is an independent pop and hip-hop artist. He's based here in New York City. Uh, he was formerly one half of the duo Air. That's A-E-R. Um, Carter has recently embarked on an already successful solo career uh, with his 2017 release, uh, his debut EP, Fresh Fruit, distributed via TuneCore. Had to throw that in there. Uh, the title, <laughs> title track releases a single. Uh, actually already earned Carter's spins on Beats 1, and he's gotten some features in Billboard Nylon. Uh, he's going to be embarking on a tour up the east, uh, up and down the East Coast uh, with SOMO in the coming weeks. Doug, Doug Smiley, is a 15-year music, uh, music industry veteran with experience working for companies like uh, Beggars Group, Downtown Records, uh, Record Label, Cornerstone Agency, and most recently, as I mentioned, the New York-based management company Lever and Beam. Um, Lever and Beam's roster includes artists like St. Vincent, Sleater Kinney, and Charlie Bliss. Uh, Doug has also worked on marketing artist development with a wide variety of artists, including Major Lazer, Santa Gold, Mike Snow, Most Def, Nelly, Cindy Lauper, Eagles of Death Metal, just to name a few. Um, so I guess to get started, I kind of just wanted to as if that introduction wasn't good enough, uh, allow these guys to introduce themselves a little further with a little bit of background. So, Doug, I'll go to you. Uh, give us a little bit of experience, uh, excuse me, a little bit of a background on your experience in music marketing uh, and branding prior to joining uh, Lever & Beam Management. Sure. So before I joined Lever & Beam, um, I'd mostly been on the label side for a, a long time, um, and I also worked at a distributor for labels before that. Um, mostly on the, uh, indie side, um, it's kind of where my, my, where I want to be. Um, and, uh, it's been working with kind of a range of artists, mostly kind of on the, uh, I guess in indie rock rap and dance electronic kind of worlds. Um, although some other kind of very random things along the way. Um, and so basically my job has been, I've been doing kind of marketing and, and product management for a really long time. And, and initially it was just marketing in general. And then at some point, I remember when I was working at the distributor, it was like right around the time when iTunes was starting to come out and we we're like, wow, this, maybe this could be a thing. Um, and then obviously it got huge and kind of like snowballed from there. But, um, and then, you know, at that point there were no digital departments. So, uh, when I was at downtown, like it started to become much more of a thing. And so I kind of built out their digital department and, and, and worked on strategies for digital marketing there as well as overall marketing. Um, and, uh, and, you know, for all my jobs, I've kind of been involved in things that are kind of a combination of digital and, and real life marketing, whether it be at labels or also at Cornerstone, where I was doing more um, like brand activations for, that involve music, like uh, Converse uh, rubber tracks, things like that. Very cool. Yeah. So you were kind of around for like the digital wild, wild west of uh, <laughs> exactly. independent music. And, uh, you know, that's where TuneCore was born from, too. So that's, that's really cool. And it's awesome to have you. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, Carter, as I mentioned, uh, it was a member of AIR, that's A-E-R. Uh, but, you know, that aside, I guess, can you give us a little bit of a background uh, of how AIR started, and even as a solo musician, how you've sort of had to uh, tighten up your chops with everything from digital marketing to touring and just becoming the musician you are today? Yeah, totally. I mean, everything was independent from the start. Um, so that for us was a hurdle at first, given it was... 
you know, we were the ones making the calls, whether it was what music videos we're shooting, how we want to be portrayed on social media, uh, what level of engagement with fans. Um, so this, this all started straight out of high school. Um, we were a kind of alternative pop hip hop duo um, out of Boston. And it was really cool. This was kind of when the Mac Millers were starting to, the Asher Roths and the Mac Millers were starting to really get clout. This was what I would say was the golden age of blogs, music blogs. Um, you know, when, when you'd get posted up on Good Music All Day, which was a big, big blog for us. And, you know, you'd see the fans rolling in from all across the country. Um, so I'd say it was, it was right when also people were really starting to utilize Twitter and Facebook to connect with people all around the world, um, which was great because I remember the first time we ever said, hey, where should we come tour? We had tons of people saying, come to California, come to California. And for a high school band, you know, who had no previous experience, didn't really know many people in California, it was, okay, this is great. How do we connect with these people from across the globe? And now how do we capitalize on that? Um, so Air had a really successful six-year run of, um, you know, touring, touring heavily, and, and music videos were huge for us, and, and social media engagement was huge for us, and then Instagram came along, which changed everything. Um, but the most beautiful thing as well was how we were distributing the music, which, shout out to Encore, you guys hey, have had our back from, had our back <laughs> from day one. Um, <laughs> Which was great because, I mean, to have the power to really reach all these platforms that at a certain point when, like you were saying, Doug, when iTunes was the, the renaissance of the digital, digital streaming and, and digital music felt unobtainable. But then to kind of be like, well, yeah, you can still be an independent artist, but be in the ring with all these legit other names was huge for us. And, and I think that's kind of what set us off. We were number one on iTunes and, and did all this great stuff. And, and, you know, I mean, that definitely put us to where we are today, where we were. And now I'm a solo artist and looking to start over. But um, that's awesome. Yeah, um, and it's cool, too, because, I mean, like what, you know, we were talking about, you know, jokingly about the Wild Wild West. It's like you sort of stepped in 2.0, right? Because oh, yeah. you, you, as a brand new independent artist, were able to uh, leverage the second edition of some of these platforms, right? Mm -hmm. You're maybe stepping away from MySpace and focusing more on, on, right. on Twitter and totally. leveraging those to build relationships in other markets, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, yeah. that's a great thing. I think, I think one of the, 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 I mean, there's a lot of things to take away from it, but I feel like, you know, there's so many different things that have come and gone in formats and social media platforms and blah, 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 but I think people need to think about how to be creative and how to present themselves irregardless of what the platform is, because there's always going to be some new next thing. Like There's always going to be a wild west of the internet where like new things are coming out, whether they're coming from you know, iTunes to going to streaming or streaming going to the next thing or going to augmented reality or VR or whatever. There's always going to be some wild west sort of thing. So I think people need to be kind of creative and think outside of just like, oh, this is what I'm going to, I'm going to be a huge guy on Twitter or a huge guy on Instagram. It's mm -hmm. like, well, what happens when Instagram goes away? Right. It goes away, you know? Yeah, how did you... If you were on MySpace, how did you help sort of transition your fans to like to the next platform, or were you in some ways following the fans to the platforms? Good question. Um, I would say our biggest platform in terms of social media outreach was definitely Facebook. 
Um, so we were, this was all post MySpace. Okay. So we started probably making all these pages 2010. Um, so I think but maybe Facebook, to Instagram, like you're talking about, like, you know, like... so Instagram had yet to even be mm -hmm. a real player in the game. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was this weird middle ground. I mean, where maybe we had a MySpace page just because you, you kind of <laughs> had to have a MySpace right. page. Um, but Facebook... I mean, for the record, I probably have a MySpace page somewhere <laughs> out there. Who's confirmed, Who's I Who's in your top eight? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe... Shout out to my high school girlfriend. Tom. Top eight. Yeah. <laughs> Tom and, and Air. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, Facebook definitely felt like the biggest outreach for us um, off the beginning, um, off the bat. And then Twitter was definitely a huge part. This was also when YouTube was, you know, you could grab a nice Canon DSLR with your friends walk around town, shoot a little music video, throw it together all janky and iMovie, and then post it up, and, you know, it can, it can do real well. Um, so we hit, we hit a really cool middle ground between kind of like post-MySpace, post-Bandcamp, um, but Facebook and YouTube and Twitter were really helping. So I find it interesting, you know, the two of you being here, one sort of being around more calculated campaigns, one having the experience of just a rogue artist that, that you know, saw a lot of success by doing it his way. Mm -hmm. um, Doug, I wanted to ask you, being behind some of those, you know, digital marketing campaigns that are a little bit more formulated, more, you know, well thought out with some money behind them, um, for an artist, uh, you know, in Carter Reeves shoes now, who, you know, who was him in 2010, are you, are you seeing more uh, opportunities and experiences uh, for artists to take advantage of, of online promotion that maybe didn't exist 10 years ago, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's definitely, as the internet matures or whatnot, I think there's definitely a lot more opportunities for people to kind of just do it themselves, you know, more than ever, you know, whether it be creating your own, you can make an album on your iPhone, you can make a movie on your iPhone, you can, you know, promote it on your socials, you can, like, do all sorts of things. At the same time, like, there's more noise out there than ever. I mean, not only from, like, all the millions of other artists that are out there, but also, like, video games and movies and any entertainment format is competition for someone, you know, potentially, like, spending money on your music. Um, not that you necessarily have to think about that way, but, <laughs> you know. Um, so I, I feel like it's... It's like a yes and no sort of situation. I think there's definitely more opportunities out there, and there's also, you know, a lot of different challenges. Um, you know, the, the real challenge is how, how do you take advantage of these, um, you know, kind of opportunities that are out there for artists, you know, whether it be putting a video up on YouTube for no cost or doing some sort of crazy social campaign. How do you do those sort of things in such a way that's out of the box enough to really make a splash and make noise out there? Um, and I think, you know, when you're at a label you have more money to, to, to throw out those things. So um, ideally, you're still coming up with creative ideas, but you have more of a budget to put behind. Um, although I think a lot of times labels kind of get stuck in like, these are the 10 things we do for every release. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, which is where I think, you know, that's where Carter has an advantage as an independent artist because, you know, either A, the artists like don't necessarily know these are the rules of marketing you have to do, or they do and they don't care and they're like, okay, well, I want to do some stuff that like no one's ever seen before. And I think like, you know, you have to do like the the ten rote things that you have to do to promote a record, yes. But like doing that one thing that no one's ever thought of is gonna be the thing that's really gonna like take you to the next level. Like I, I feel like your your whole job as kind of marketing is trying to create excuses for fans to talk about you, to talk about you to people who've never heard of you or or people who might be a fan but could become a bigger fan. Um and so if you come up with an amazing video, that's an excuse for them to talk to their friends about you. If you come up with like 
some crazy show routine like that's an excuse to them to talk about you and and creating those excuses and making it easy for people to talk about you and to share your music and what you're all about is is the name of the game i i find that really interesting too because like you said about about having more money to throw at something um and and i think that's where kind of like the label side versus kind of the quote rogue indie side really there's 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 a contrast there because for us, um, I think it was the second album we released, what we realized was our best marketing tactic was being transparent to the fans, being there, tweeting back, being at the shows, um, you know, liking people's comments on, on YouTube, really dropping that veil, dropping that pedestal from celebrity to you know or from from fan to artist and being as if these artists could just be your friends or someone you wanted to hang out with so i remember one particular time we kind of were hot off some success and we were feeling ourselves so we we're like all right well let's, as you do let's let's throw a bunch of money into these next two videos that we want to shoot and so we we had a big budget for these videos and and you watch the videos and you go, oh, well, these are a much bigger budget, budgeted videos than than everything else they've done. The past stuff they've done, it just felt like, you know, they put put a camera in the hands of their friends and walked around town and, and just shot like a really personal video. So we threw a bunch of money at these videos and they didn't perform well at all. They didn't do well and, and people kind of, or, or what we were reading from the comments was, well, why are you guys trying to, you know, the thing we, the charming thing we loved about you was that you, it, it didn't seem like you were throwing so much money at this. Like and it was so much more real before. Why is it right. like? Because we, we had felt like, oh, well, we've reached this next step. So now, you know, in the traditional marketing textbook, it's time to step it up a notch and, and really yeah. get. Yeah. I feel like videos are kind of a perfect example of that because I've seen so many videos that cost nothing that were just had an amazing concept and took off like wildfire. And then there's ones where we spent, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to get it together. And, and, and it you know, just totally fell apart because there wasn't a concept and it doesn't matter. You know, it's kind of like, you know, how people like, if you're not an audio engineer, like you don't necessarily know when a record's been mastered or not. Right. Like I think in the video world, like people don't necessarily even know like, Oh, that was shot on a high quality camera or that one's not there, but they do know like, Oh, that's a dumb idea or that's like right, right. really entertaining. Or it's entertaining and dumb. Yeah, idea. I know. And, I, and I'm tempted to think of specific excuses where I've seen that go down too. When I was doing music publicity and we were, you know, pushing videos, and it's like it was a, you know, kind of a glory age for pushing videos to blogs because it could get your attention. Yeah, um, and it's a, it's a really kind of flat world too. I feel like in that, like a small artist can really just have something that's like genius and really take off. Like, I mean, this was a couple of years back, obviously, and they're on Capital and yada yada yada. But Okay Go, I think, is you know just genius okay. in the way that their videos are so much bigger than they are as a band which is really rare. Like usually like I feel like the, how popular a video is is a function of how popular you are as a band. But everyone wanted to watch those things. They're super entertaining like beyond if you were a fan of their music. Yeah, I mean it, it certainly didn't help it didn't hurt that they made really catchy indie pop. But <laughs> yeah. um Carter, yeah. can I can I back up Please. just a little bit you talked yeah. about how you're really engaging with your fans like responding to comments and stuff like that. Yeah. A couple of things about that like was there a sort of a transition period where you went from being like Carter on social media to air the band on social media, like making it more of a schedule or professional, like sort of, uh, we have to do this as a group. Right. Um, I think coming up with witty, funny tweets 
which always connected more with the fans, became something of a schedule where it was like, oh, well, you know, you, if you looked at my draft folders, I would have a ton of really stupid tweets, but then like a couple really good ones. And so, I mean, yeah, it, it definitely kind of needs to become a schedule. You need to be in the mindset of, you know, utilizing daily thought and, and seeing something stupid on the street and taking a picture of it because for all you know, you put a funny caption on top and, and that's a post that really connects with people. You get some retweets, da-da-da, this and that. Um, I think what what was a struggle was kind of, maybe it was an identity crisis, but it, I think it's, it, it's with the marketing and, and being able to connect with all your fans from what's in your pocket and all day long. Mm -hmm. You need to choose a lane between do you want your image to feel like a large celebrity kind of unreachable to the fans? Because I think there's a marketing, there's like a really, there's an allure to that from marketing. Um, or do you want to be down and dirty and speaking with everyone and, and really making those connections? Um, I remember a friend of mine, she told me, she said, this we were on one of our first tours and, and we were doing meet and greets and, and we were physically there shaking everyone's hand, taking pictures, doing this. And she told me, she said, my dad used to tour for the Ramones and this would never happen. Something like this would never happen. These dudes would walk straight from their bus to the stage, straight from the stage back to their bus. And that's half of what sold them. It's because they had this allure. And so I think a lot of people these days, um, for example, I think G-Eazy did a really good job at doing this, which is, you know, he slicked the hair back, he put the shades on, he put the leather black black jacket on and, and really reached this celebrity allure. Um, whereas for Air, we, I think, with those big budget videos and with stuff like that, we may have tried to do that and kind of people looked at us and were like, well, wait, you guys are like the friendly neighborhood guys who feel like you're our friend. What are you doing now? Um, so I think, I think we realized that that, daily connection and, and always being there for your fans um, yeah, is so important. Like, and that's that's so much of what the marketing like was. You had your voice, but you were trying to like, oh, maybe we have to do, have this other voice to our fans. Right. Your fans basically said, no, 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 <laughs> right. like the other guys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's interesting. And it, 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 I mean, it, it kind of it begs the question, too. And I kind of wanted to ask both of you guys this uh, separately. Uh, but also, you know, I want you to They're in the converse same room, over. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this oh, okay. is awkward. <laughs> um, but I wanted to, you know, like in 2017, I kind of wanted to, you know, having experienced what you've experienced. Uh, and and I, I'm thinking immediately again of your draft folder, which like makes perfect sense. Uh, how organized when it comes to DIY do you think an independent artist, an independent artist should be? when it comes to their, their sort of marketing strategy? Like, at what level of organization do you, do you feel like is, is too much over, like overthinking and, and what level is where, where they need to really rein it in a little bit and, and tighten it up? I guess. Uh, yeah, I feel like we're going to have very different yeah. views. Of yeah. gonna be interesting. So, I mean, I, I, I kind of feel like this is a total cliche deadline, but I, I think the six P's are important, which is prior performance, prior planning prevents piss poor performance. Like See, if I, had, if I had planned, then I wouldn't have said that so poorly. <laughs> um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's really important to plan things out and like, you know, like a mu musician practices a song a hundred times before they go on stage and actually perform it. And then they go on stage and it looks like it's effortless and like they just kind of picked it up. Like that's, in a perfect case scenario, that's the best case with, with marketing. And I feel like, um, you know, you have to think a lot about what kind of image you want to put out there and what sort of marketing you kind of want to have with it. Um, like, 
on a basic level, like with social media and communications, I set up a calendar for our artists where we try to think out, you know, as long as possible and say like, okay, well, through the summer, we know that you're going to put out this video, you're going to have a new single, you're going to be playing at this festival, you're going to do these shows, yada, yada, yada. So like, we know like we're going to have X, Y, and Z that we can, we can write about, maybe write those in advance and get all like the, the hashtags and the links and stuff ready in like a shared Google doc so that everyone can kind of see it. Um, and, and then you can also say, oh, hey, well, between May and July, it's actually going to be really dead, which I can see from this calendar, like, what can we put in there to kind of, you know, keep people excited? You know, maybe let's, maybe we should do another video for that time, or maybe we can do some dumb viral thing or, you know, whatever, like, just to kind of, you know, plan it out. Um, and then I think also for, that's kind of like a more concrete level, and I think like the more abstract thing would be, I feel like a lot of times artists kind of think of like the visual side of things as like, oh, I have to do this promotion and I have to like think of an album cover art and it's such a pain in the ass and all that. But I feel like the most successful artists are, are ones that consider the artwork to be part of the art form. And so, you know, what they wear is part of the art form, what the album art is part of the art form, the music videos is an extension of that, all of that. Even the marketing campaign is part of the art of that project if, in the best case scenario. You know, like if you look at like the David Bowies of the world or like, um, you know, even like I worked with Santi Gold for a long time and she had a really strong vision of, of, of everything from the cover art to the music videos to what she would wear and what people would be doing on stage. And so it all kind of tied in well together and it didn't feel like, oh, we have to create this marketing piece. It's like, oh, we're going to create this artwork and it's going to be a, a statement unto itself almost that extends the album. Um, and I think when you can reach that level with, with the art and the promotion and the marketing, um, it creates you know a really compelling thing that people want to get into. It's a world that you can jump into. Sure. So it's 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 almost just looked at as a, the, a certain level of cohesion across the board, and, and right. I think exactly. that can be applied to you know picking your social media creative. It's yeah. the Same thing. Like if you're gonna have three singles and you're gonna plan it out over nine months, then you could potentially have like artwork that's related to each other for the three singles, as opposed to if you're just like. I don't know, man. I got the song. I'm gonna like just drop one in March, and maybe whatever, you know. Like then, like this stuff's not gonna be connected. It's just gonna be kind of random things that aren't gonna build on each other. Uh, right. I'm gonna shop yeah. it around to some labels. <laughs> I'm gonna see if I get some. La if I'm gonna label by May first, then uh, you know we'll see. And then just, you know, put on the blogs. That's not a real plan. <laughs> Carter, if you could weigh in. Yeah. Um, we don't disagree very much at all i think what just just the main thing is is that with a bigger team with more you know capital behind it it's really it's a lot easier to be an artist who has that strong vision and and has knows what they want to have on stage knows what they want to look like knows what they want to dress like because then you make a call and you say, hey, here are all my crazy ideas. No, you do it. Do you mind putting in some legwork to figuring out how we can make all this happen? So where I'm at right now is, you know, my team consists of, like, you know, the music side, which is all, like, my friends and producers and writers that I've been working with. And then my marketing side, which is me, my manager, and then his you know, the, the, the team he works with uh, at his management company. Um, so what I'm having, not trouble necessarily, but, but like you said, I mean, the cohesion between a brand, you go to someone's Instagram, the colors all feel the same. Um, the images feel the same. Um, like you said, with the single artwork, for example, I, I, I'm wearing a shirt with my single art on it. Um, and the first 
two, the, the, or, or sorry, the first single was half of, half of my art. And then the second half was another half of my art, uh, for the single. And then, then when I actually released the EP, it was the whole artwork with me on, on the cover. Well, that's cool. So that's stuff that I thought of on my own. And, and, you know, I'm, I feel I'm creative enough to think of this stuff. And, and really do it but then when it comes to the execution it is it is hard and and definitely tiring to kind of be the one running point on all this um so i i mean i do feel like i have a strong vision and i do feel like i want to but i think the harder part is it it gets tiring and i kind of like you know fall behind the marketing schedule because i'm focused on writing the next song and i'm focused on doing this and doing that not necessarily focused on designing the next four single art. Yeah. But I have ideas for it, but it's it's tough that, you know, the team is small. But but I'm a I'm a I'm a new artist as a as a solo act. So sure. it's th- definitely something it's, that would come. I mean I, I feel like that's that's definitely a, a tough thing at any stage for an artist is you know, you never want all those things I'm talking about with marketing and artwork and stuff to, to get in the way of you actually writing music. And right. if anything you want to be like in your own cocoon when you're writing your music and to not have to think about like, oh, how is this going to work with the cover art? And how is this going to work with, you know, my marketing campaign or whatever? Right, right. Um, but the, I, I feel like it, it's kind of interesting, like of, of any of the artists that I'm working with, from like the smallest little scrappy artist to like much more established ones, they're kind of all pulling in favors at some level. It's just that, you know, like the smaller artists and the baby bands I'm doing with right now, they're pulling in favors like, hey, boyfriend, can you make this flyer for me? Like right. poster or whatever. And then on my established artists, it's like, you know, $100,000 kind of favors. But they're still basically doing favors like, hey, can I pull in this dress for free from Gucci sort of thing? It's like, it's kind of interesting. I'm like, no matter what level you get to, you're still kind of have to rely on the kindness of strangers or hopefully friends oh, and yeah. pull in favors. It's just, you know, they end up being much bigger. Ideally, I think that was really interesting. I mean, we started at cohesion, and then we got into you know your single art, and I really think that is really a, a key part of with so many people releasing singles in advance of albums to having artwork that represents the ultimate, you know, like the the multi-track release compared to the individual art. Right. To have those single art that you can see how it's all related is just recognizable. Somebody maybe didn't listen to the first single, but they might have saw the cover art. Right. They see the second one, and it just sort of like gets burned into the retinas, and they want to try it out. So I do think like that going back to that pre-planning, not just what you're going to do, but how it looks mm-hmm. is really it's, it's so growing important with the singles age. Yeah, I agree. That's so important from a marketing standpoint, and also it just feels right. It just feels nice. Like when you have a band that you really like, and you have like let's say you're an obsessive fan, you bought all the singles, you bought the album, and <laughs> They look great together on a shelf, and they all fit together. It's like you know having an outfit that feels right. Like it just yeah. You, even in your Spotify library, as a you know a rabid music fan, when uh, you know, and I think I see it a lot in hip hop. Um, when I know when I'm reading the right blog or whatever, and I know that this release is coming in six months from now, like I'm tuned into those singles that are dropping, and I'm paying attention to them in my library. There, I'm paying attention to the cover art. I'm it's building anticipation. It's you know, it's a new model that everyone's kind of getting used to. I think that the single, after the single, after the single, and then the release. Uh, but I, I think it's, you know, I think it benefits everyone personally as, as a music fan. Yeah. Um, but, and, you know, kind of going that, I guess I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, when it comes to these release cycles and these release schedules, you know, how, how you handle on social media. I know we, we've talked a little bit about social media on the podcast uh, previously, but... Um, 
how important it is, obviously, but also just the level of engagement and versus bombardment. Um, and I, I'd like to hear that kind of from each of you, just because you know you're kind of on different sides of the coin and what you've seen that has changed over the years or even just recently and what you guys feel like um, you still see mistakes being made at all levels. And I'll, I'll look to you, Carter, because I mean, you're, you're again, yeah. jumping out as a solo artist. Um, I'm a strong advocate of you need to write checks to get checks. You need to lose followers to get followers. Um, that's just the name of the game. That's the reality. Um, so I think that applies for when you're promoting something. Um, you know, I think it's, and I'm guilty of this. I think it's too easy to feel, um, to feel, you know, uh, like you're over bombarding your fans with promotion. But at the end of the day, they're following you because they like the product that you're providing them with. So you need to kind of be shameless at one point and be like, well, you know, if, if, if you don't like my music, then why is it that you're following me? And I'm just trying to connect you with my music more. So, so yeah, I mean, I think there's obviously overdoing it. I think often I will, you know, turn an artist's retweets off if the day they release a song, they retweet right. 160 people and it blows up my time. It's like, I, I, I get it. You put a song <laughs> out. That's awesome. And I would have understood that from five retweets or two or three or 10. It was the 50th that kind of It was got the me. 50th that kind of got me. And, and I think that the detrimental thing there is I then have turned off your retweets. So for all I know, you retweet a really awesome piece where someone, you know, uh, shot an amazing cover video you did of something and I missed it. Yeah, and it's amazing because we all know tweets have a very short shelf life in general, right? Right. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, I see artists do that all the time where like I, I, you're excited. It's release day. I don't care what Balloon Boy 420 thinks about your right. single. I, I follow him. It. Well, he's an icon though. So, <laughs> you can't deny Balloon, Shout Boy, out Balloon 420. Boy 420. I think yeah, I think you need a balance kind of like respecting kind of respecting the Twitter sphere, the Facebook sphere, and making sure you're not really over-bombarding. But at the same time, it's like, you know, this is what I've been working so hard on, and this is my life. This is my yeah. product. I'm not retweeting some, like, fake news Trump garbage about some crazy thing that, like, you know, I, you know, I'm not stirring the pot here. I'm just trying to let you guys know what I'm doing. And if you've listened to my music and you decide you don't like it, unfollow me that's fine or mm -hmm. you know or mute me do whatever but but at the end of the day this this is why i'm here this is why i have a twitter in the first place so i sure. think you can't feel ashamed of like needing to actually promote your own yeah. stuff yeah i totally agree i mean i, I feel like it, it, for the most part of my experience i feel like artists are a little bit hesitant to to post as often as would be ideal because like they feel like it's like i'm over promoting my stuff i'm being too much of a shell yada 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 but people have very short attention spans and, and, you know, you can post multiple times a day on Twitter and that's not like a bad thing. I think that the, the question is, what are you posting? And if you, the, like the kind of rule of thumb that I've seen and that I, I apply is, is you have 80% non-promotional stuff and then 20% promotional stuff. So 80% of it can just be like, hey, we're, you, ideally it's like sort of related to music at least. Like, hey, I'm on the road, like here's some, look at this jerky we got on, on you know, this tour stop or. Venison. Look at this venison we got on our, our main club date. Um, you know, but then and, then and then you kind of put a, put in a promotional thing like, hey, you know, our album's for sale, blah, blah, blah. But then you can also even apply it to the individual post. Like, okay, instead of just saying, hey, our album's for sale, buy it. 
put in like an interesting story that ends with, and you might want to buy our album. Like, because so many more people will look at that post and click on it and share it with people than if you just had said, buy this. And, and that applies to, from small artists on to even huge artists, you know, if you're just putting something that's a straight promotional, like buy this, people are kind of, they're not going to be as turned on as if, if you, you know, kind of wrap it in an interesting story or, right. or image. I was saying, I think one of the most underrated uh, elements of, of social media marketing for artists uh, is touring and, and, and whether it's regional, whether, whether it's national, whether it's international, I think it provides the best organic fodder yeah. absolutely social yeah there's so many excuses to, to write about things and and you know for the 10 hours of the day when you're in a van as opposed to doing your show like i mean honestly like what else are you doing like right can you imagine if the replacements had twitter <laughs> oh they'd be killer on twitter <laughs> i think they might be more of a well, snapchat kind of band yeah, but we'll see. yeah huh. well what doug was saying just kind of i i think the way that i've been thinking about that recently because sometimes I feel like I've caught myself in doing too much promotional or just like dry, boring tweets with a link and a buy and a share. Sure. Um, I, the way I see that is if I were reading this, could I, is this something that my manager emailed me saying, here's the copy for the next two weeks? And I just said yes. Or can I make this a little more interesting so that if, someone reads this, they go, oh, this looks like he actually put some personality into this. Um, so that's kind of what I've, what I've realized I got to stop doing and I, and I got to, and I got to start adding some more flavor to these posts. I mean, yeah, I, it, for example, I was, I was at Billboard the other day and, and played like a live set with them and, and it was great. And I was about to post a picture of them and I was going to say, hey, thanks so much for having me out. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I can make this so much more interesting. I can add a little more flavor. And I, I've seen stupid photos do really well on Instagram or on Twitter with a hilarious caption. Right. And if you add that personality and, and you make it less like, oh, yeah, well, that's just a bland promotional tweet. I think, like you said, the connections go so much deeper and it, and it encourages you more so to actually engage with it or retweet yeah. it or, or follow it or whatever. So. And that goes back to the, to the organization and the AD20 where you can use some sort of scheduling app or something to get your 20%, you set up your tent poles, you know, like my video is going to drop, pre-schedule that tweet. My album single is going to release, mm -hmm. pre-schedule that tweet. And then all of your personality can be that 80% in between those yeah, tent poles. Yeah, totally. And, and that's also, if, if you're, you know, if you're at a stage in your career where you have a manager, that's a nice way to kind of break it up between you where the manager is kind of writing out the, the tent pole things of like, okay, the album's out, the video's out, the blah, blah, blah. And then you as the artist is kind of filling in the, the, the color in there. Um, sort of related to this and just kind of in general, I, I feel like one of the best things that artists could, could do in terms of kind of studying interesting ways to market their records and how to have a voice on social media and all this sort of stuff is to really just look at different artists and see what they do. Because one of the nice things about the digital age is it's all out there. It's really pretty easy if you do the research to do a complete you can figure out exactly what an artist's total marketing campaign is just by like looking at different points in time. Like if you want to look at, you know, what did uh, Chance do for his, uh, you know, last album? Like where did he, what, how did he announce it? Uh, if you look around at a certain date and time, you will find out how he announced it. Uh, okay, what press covered that? If you look at those dates range, you'll see who covered it. Uh, all right, how did he put out his next single? What did you do there? Oh, I see. And like, it, it's all there and you can put it out and make like a book report and just say, this is, you know, this is this artist's, and, and how they laid out everything and how, what can I take from it? 
Um, and even artists that are in a different genre from you or, or even brands or products for that matter, if it's an interesting marketing idea, like look at that and research and think, how can I apply this to what I'm doing? Because if it's, especially if it's an idea, you know, if you tweak it and so it's in a different world, you know, can, you can kind of make it new. So if you're a brand new artist, do you think you should model yourself after say a Kanye Kendrick? West? Absolutely. Well, well, I'm saying in terms of their marketing and their schedule, should they model themselves after Kanye or Kendrick or Chance, or should they just think about like maybe two or three levels above them? Somebody that's more of a regional hit and like, should it be sort of a state? Should they set up their own marketing efforts? Sort of like, all right, people won't pay attention to me the way they would Kanye, mm -hmm. but they might pay attention to me to this like local New York guy. Yeah. Or do you? Shoot for the stars. I think that's a good point. I mean, I think you kind of have to look at both. Um, the because sometimes the the kind of the biggest, most creative ideas are coming from big people just because they have either a they're geniuses or b they have huge budgets, um, or sometimes both. Um, but I think there's also there's a lot of value in looking at artists that are you know your size or like you said you know slightly bigger than you and seeing what they're doing and how they kind of got to that next level. Um, it can definitely make it a lot more realistic in terms of, okay, I see how they did it. They didn't have any money either, but they made this work, and, and it's very easy for me to do that. Um, I think there's a lot of value in it, and it's, you know, obviously my, my examples were kind of all big names, but like that applies to anyone that you can see online that has a vision and how they laid out their record. Um, I think there's, there's a lot to that. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think being an independent artist, there's constant temptation you know, everyone gets excited about a song. I get so stoked on a song. I want it to be out next week. So the temptation, I think, is potentially really dangerous because, you know, I'm not Drake. I can't just drop two songs at midnight one night on SoundCloud because I'm drunk and I just made it in the studio and I think it's hot. And then, oh, three weeks later, it's Hotline Bling and it's the hottest song. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You. So trying to remind yourself that, you know you can't necessarily market yourself. Look, these people who can just drop music or these, you know, Beyonce dropping a surprise album or this and that. And, and I think those are, that's awesome. And it's, and it's really cool. And I think it is something to shoot for, but I think you need to remember that these people were strategically putting music out for 10 years before they got to the point where it was just like, many let's drop many some cases music. And also a lot of times, even when it seems like, woo, let's just drop some music. Like if you look in their drafts folder, it's actually been like something they've been planning yeah. for 10 months and like it's just carefully calculated to look right. like, oh, look it's an like, accident. Yeah. Oh my God, how did someone get this in my SoundCloud? And I'm not saying, hey, don't, I'm against surprises, but yeah, I mean, yeah. the same thing. You, you need to put some thought, like you said, what yeah. piss poor planning, planning, <laughs> it's impossible pre to prepared say. people, yeah, prepared yeah. people do something. I, I mean, I think the, the other thing with, with, you know, big artists versus small artists who you should look for, for inspiration, I think there's a, a much different kind of marketing plan that you do for uh, an artist that already has an audience and you want to figure out how to activate that audience and make sure that they know about a new record and come out and see them on tour versus a band that doesn't have an audience or it's a very small audience and you want to grow that audience. Um, or even when you have a small audience, like there's a different marketing that you do for activating and reaching your existing fans versus what do you do to reach new fans. And so I think if you kind of think of almost, you know, multiple marketing plans for any one release, it's a good way to think about it. Can, yeah. I, ask a, okay. can I ask a hard question to you both? Please. What is, do you have any advice on that artist that doesn't have any fans to getting that first hundred fans or that fan that has a hundred to go to that next thousand? Do you have any, any real concrete suggestions and I know it's a magic bullet question so I mean I think at, at that level 
a lot of it has to do with like how kind of dynamic you are as a person and, and the kind of people that are going to be able to easily, you know, kind of have a couple hundred, you know, real life friends or that are like the life of the party or like our dynamic on social media are going to be those people who can kind of easily, you know, grab more people. Um, and, and at any rate, I think like a lot of it's kind of function of like, you know, just taking advantage of your friends and your family and kind of growing from there. Um, I think, you know, for artists who aren't necessarily naturally, you know, outgoing life of the party kind of people, it can be a little bit more challenging, but you have to think of ways to, um, to take advantage of your pluses, you know, your art and, and your music and how you can kind of affect people with that. Um, I think, you know, for people that are open to it, doing covers is a really good way to reach mm -hmm. fan bases, you know, like both to show your talent and to turn on people who would be fans of a certain band. Like if you're influenced by Elliot Smith, like do an Elliot Smith cover and people searching for Elliot Smith on YouTube will, you know, in a manner of speaking, they'll, they'll find you eventually. So, um, there's a lot of artists who've kind of broken that way. Or if, you know, if you're a rapper, like rap over a, a famous beat, like right. that sort of thing. Yeah. Liquid swords, preferably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's been done, uh, I, I've heard. Uh, well, you know, on that note, one thing I wanted to touch on was uh, when you're starting out on, uh, you know, as an artist, regardless, you know, uh, if you have 100, if you have 1,000 followers, um, how important are those initial followers to an artist that's really starting to build their career? Because we want to bring it down to these artists that are maybe first starting to perform more and that's how they're right. maybe getting fans. Maybe they're actually starting to regionally tour uh, and that's how they're starting to get fans. But, I mean, as a music fan, you know, it means a lot when an artist just engages back with you, I think. Yeah. Even if you're just, if you're just, if you're promoting this stuff. Or if, you know, if we're talking hyper-local here and, you know, uh, Carter, originally from the Boston area, if someone comes up to you and is like, dude, I saw you at the Middle East, kid. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be your buddy. Like you're gonna yeah. you're gonna bump into him. He's gonna buy everything you like that you that you put out. And and I and I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on how to properly engage with those people early on in your career. So yeah, I think I think kind of taking yourself. You may. I mean, you're your biggest fan, ideally, in a perfect world. I think you need to kind of. I don't want to say compromise, but I think you need to be realistic with your standing in in the music world at at that time. So I think what that means is, you know, if it's working with an artist that maybe you're not 100% down with, but you know together you can make something great, you should do that. I think that if it's, you know, oh, well, I want to have this celebrity allure, but, you know, this is someone who's telling me how much that I've positively affected their life, I should maybe, you know, show some gratitude back. I think it's really important to not forget that even in the early stages. And I think that I'm in a weird situation because I reached this certain level of, of, of notoriety and then now I'm kind of back down starting over again. So I think it's easy for me to be like, oh, well, like I'm beyond that. But it's like, no, I'm, I'm definitely not. Um, so there's a huge difference between a fan, a casual fan, and a super fan. And I think with the tools we're given, it's really easy to make super fans. And, and, and I don't mean to even call them super fans. I, I, friends, people, people who support sure. you, people who... Every time you're in North Carolina, they'll be there four hours before doors open. You'll hang out, talk to them, and, and be there. You know, if they tweet at you, you'll tweet back. You'll, you're really engaging with these people because, you know, they're positively impacting you just as much as, you know, you are them. And, and like, yeah, you're providing them with music, but 
they're providing you with fans and love and, and, and support. And every time you come out to the show, they're bringing five of their friends. Those five friends bring 10 friends. I think those first hundred thousand, you know, whatever amount of fans it is are really important because most likely those are the people that are going to stick with you for the long haul. For sure. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I think there's so many examples of, of, of bands, you know, over the years where they, you know, if you kind of just keep on growing, you know, organically like a, you know, snowball or whatever, like, and you keep that initial core of fans, that's how you have longevity in the industry. You know, you don't, you can never forget those people. Um, and I think on a concrete level, it's, it's, it's really important to, you know, no matter what the, the current, you know, social media platform is or will be in the future, email seems to be sticking around and it's a really, really good way to keep track of your existing fans. And there's a lot of software out there to help you keep track of, uh, oh, you know, this, this guy has bought every single album directly from our store over the years, or this guy, you know, is really supported. And so you can, you know, as you, as you first start, it's just, okay, I have 10 people on the email list and I'm going to invite them to shows. But then as you get bigger, you can start to break it out and say, okay, well, I'm going to reach out to the 10 people who are my biggest fans in rally and, and, you know, meet up with them or get them 10% off the store or things like that. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there. Cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I'm bummed that we didn't get more into email, honestly, just cause I think it's like you said, it, it is here to stay. And it's something I, you know, as a fan still, uh, use all the time with, with artists to, to stay on top of them and the really cool ones that'll make your day respond to your emails. If you email them. Yeah. yeah I, Benji Rogers over at pledge music, he says the, the best tool for any musician is a pencil and a piece of paper after your show. Oh yeah. Absolutely. But with that, we are kind of running out of time. So I wanted to wrap things up. Um, Carter Reeves, thank you very much for coming through. TuneCore artist, solo career burgeoning. He is going to be on tour. Where can people follow you at? Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, the whole Instagram, the whole nine. It's at uh, Carter Reeves, R-E-E-V-E-S. No relation to Keanu, but uh, nonetheless... Whoa. Whoa. We were under the impression that he was uh, his nephew, yeah, so we no. might be editing him out of this entire conversation. <laughs> uh, but uh, Carter will be on tour along the East Coast in May, so definitely check out his dates. Please do. Uh, and Doug, we can tell him where to find you if you'd like to, or if you'd like to be secretive, that's cool too. You can find me. Uh, you can look me up at Smiley Douglas on the Twitter, the Instagram, the everything else. Cool. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, start an email list if you haven't. Make it bigger. Have fun. <laughs> Love it. Thanks, guys. And Chris? I was going to say one more thing that I just wanted to drop in there. In terms of uh, streaming platforms, people always, you're trying to get people to listen to you, but really, I always try to stress to artists, get people to follow you. You're going to get into their feed. Every time you have a release, they're going to know about it. Worry less about asking somebody to listen to your music and ask them to follow you on those platforms, too. Yeah. It's just a click of a button. Anyone who, who even your buddies, you know, it's, it's very easy to do. Yeah, that's a good point. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you.